Well, it's evening again, my favorite time to do a podcast. The gloom of dusk is upon us. We're at Great Basin National Park. This from the guy who says that he never goes to national parks. And I've been to four or five of them in the in the last few weeks. So it's kind of weird. I, you know why? Because I figured out that if you go to a national park, it's pretty much the same price as the national forests. So why not go why not go to the national park if you can get into it? I, I still generally avoid state parks, but the national parks are pretty amazing and Great Basin is stunningly beautiful. We're about I'd say we're about 8500 feet up, maybe more. And going up to the park on a gravel road that's been washboarded pretty heavily is quite a treat. You just have to go fast enough that those washboards don't really beat the hell out of your truck. So I'm here, and I'm really glad that I'm here. And I'm going to, in this podcast, attempt to uh, tie up some loose ends and do some clarifications. And I'm doing this as an easy talker, which means I'm ad-libbing it off the top of my head. I don't have any notes. Usually I'm a little bit more prepared. And I've attempted to do this podcast about four or five times and i'm really frustrated and really ticked off because i want to i i don't want to correct certain assumptions made in podcast 1068 but it requires i talk about the these very complex economic things and it's really frustrating and it i'll just tell you it doesn't get frustrating for me till i start talking about that stuff and then i get really mad so that's where I stand, and that's where I'm at right about now. And it's kind of frustrating to me because I want to be out here enjoying this, and I also want to do a podcast. And anybody that says this isn't work is crazy because this has been – I've been sitting here trying to do this for the last three, two, three hours. It's ridiculous. So we'll talk about uh, closing some loose ends and uh, clarifications in podcast 1069, the Bob Davis Podcasts. This podcast is probably going to run a little long, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to very quickly say thanks for the donations of the Bob Davis Podcast. Thanks for subscribing to the Bob Davis Podcast on iTunes. Uh, that's the only thing I'm going to say about the Bob Davis Podcast in this uh, in this uh, podcast because I'm going to talk a lot about uh, some of the things I said in Podcast 1068. Hopefully, it will be a little bit more easily understood. But I also want to get a shout out for the guys at 36 Lynn, the independently owned and operated refueling station in South Minneapolis at 36th Street South and Lindale Avenue. Uh, Uptown and, uh, and Lynn Lake are the neighborhoods they pretty much function in. The cool thing about 36 Lynn, of course, if I can be brief, is the locally sourced products in the store. The store is the special sauce. Plus, they get fuel at a cheaper price. They can pass the savings on to customers. So they're getting real famous for locally sourced products. Check them out, 36 Lynn. Click on their banner at the top of the page at the thebobdavispodcast.com or visit them. Say hi and uh, buy something <laughs> buy some coffee or something at 36 lin one of the reasons it's hard to talk about certain things is they're complex and they don't lend themselves very well to the pleasant chatter of a podcast they aren't rhetorical political speak 
because you're talking about data or you're talking about certain policies and you're talking about the way something supposedly works. And if, and if I'm trying to avoid uh, politics for express reasons, which I have discussed and will continue to avoid talking about politics because now I'm not even interested, when you talk about economics, it's so tied into politics for most people that you know it's it becomes a little bit more difficult to talk about these things here's the thing if you're a full-time nomad then you know this is true we don't even know what day it is half the time we are focused on is there enough oil in the truck what's that weird noise how are the tires is there enough coolant where are my maps to make sure I can get here? How much am I spending per day or month on fuel? I want to go here. Do I go there? Do I go see this person? Do I do this? Do I do that? What's the weather going to be? It's kind of like sailing. I wouldn't even, I would certainly not even say it's like flying. Because at least with flying, you've got uh, checklists and things you have to do. And you have to do it that way every time. And I have checklists and everything for the truck. But, you know, flying is a little bit less cerebral and more focused. For us, this is like sailing in the Caribbean or someplace like on the, through the Greek islands where you sail over here and you stay here for a day or two and then you sail over there and you sail over here and you sail over there. And when you're out on the water, you don't know what day it is and you don't care. Well, that's exactly what this is like. And when, I, when you drive, especially as I do, I don't even go on the freeways. I just go on, on back roads. When you do that, it's even more like sailing because it's almost as though the towns are islands and the attractions that you're going to see are like islands. And you, you kind of approach them and you can see them coming and you got to figure out how to get in there and everything else. So our minds are focused on a different timeline. We don't operate on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday approach. We don't operate 9 to 5. We don't operate with it's noon, time for this, or it's 4 p.m., time for that, or better leave at, at 5 because better leave at 7 than at 5 because the traffic is terrible at 5, that kind of thing. Because we're, and, and I say we're, it's me too. I'm out, you know, at Great Basin or Zion or... I'm traveling on a highway where yesterday I was on uh, a highway from Delta City over to uh, near, uh, I guess it's Eli, Nevada. If you're from Minnesota, you see it. It's spelled like Ely, so E-L-Y. And I didn't see another car for most of the day. I was the only vehicle on the highway for most of the day. No stop signs, no gas stations, no towns, just gorgeous long sweeps of mountains and valleys as we head towards the Great Basin. Now, if you know anything about the Great Basin, which I don't know very much, but I know what I see, it is a great valley between these mountain ranges out here in the Rockies in Nevada that is probably 10 times the size of the Shenandoah Valley. I mean, that's how big it is. And you get up about 8,500 to 10,000 feet up these mountains. And you look down over this expanse. And it's mind-blowing. 
there's so much visual data that you can't think. We just can't think. It's amazing. And why would you want to? Because you just take it in. This is why I always rage about people. I don't really rage, but you know, I get a kick out of people who go to these uh, places and roll up and jump out of their car and take pictures and take selfies and then jump back in the car and roar down the road because they only have three days in Grand Canyon or whatever. So they got to get the most out of it. And you can't. The only way you can get the most out of it is just to stand there and look. And you can't, you look and you can't, your brain can't fathom the distances. So, for example, when you stand and look down over the Grand Canyon and you see, uh, I guess that's the Colorado. I don't know what river that is. But you see those rivers. They look like streams. And somebody says, you're five miles up. That's five miles away. You look down and you see this and it's five miles away. And it blows your mind because you can't imagine that it's that far. And you get down there and those rivers that look like streams are huge and moving very high and very fast most of the time. And so it was yesterday when I was uh, just going to turn into the park and I saw a sign that said Philip 66, six miles. And I, uh, I, I had gone down about a quarter and I thought, well, I'm just going to top off just in case because if I have to go back, then I'm going to be below half and I don't like to be below half given the prices right now. I'm driving along and you can see it says six miles and I could see where this truck stop was six miles away because there's no other buildings. It's just six miles away. And I drove down there. I get down there. And I pull in, it's a truck stop and casino right at the Nevada border. And I go, I've been here before. And I had been there before. And what's interesting is I don't remember when. Could have been three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. This happens to me a lot right now. So I guess I'm telling you all this just as a way of saying that it's hard to talk about these hard, specific, detailed, complicated issues when you are living in a dream world. The other day, my friend Marianne Stebbins said, uh, you know, in response, she commented on, on one of the posts, and she said, uh, this is the one that, it was 1068, where the picture of Mobile Podcast came in under the double rainbow. And that was uh, just uh, north of Moab. And she said, and that was during the monsoon, and she says, your life it's a pretty amazing experience, and it is a dream. So it's real hard for me to get to the point where I can take something as complicated as macroeconomics and simplify it to to the point where a person that doesn't read that stuff and doesn't care about that stuff but is concerned about high gas prices and high fuel prices and high food prices and scared about shortages or scared and worried about their future, uh, especially in light of Podcast 1068, which I was not happy with. And I considered pulling, but I decided I'll just do another podcast. And I've been trying for the last six hours to try, or whatever, it's three hours to try to, to get this. And it's just because I'm living a dream world. You don't need the same mental skills to live in the dream world that you do to live in the in this complex, hard, and analytical 
uh, very left brain world of banking and finance, which we are all suffering the effects of. So I'm going to make yet another attempt in the second half of this podcast to get this uh, stuff from Podcast 1068 clarified for you. All right, briefly, before I get into this complex economic thing, let me just say thanks to BU Enterprises for sponsoring the Bob Davis Podcast. What is BU? I've talked about it for months. So BU Enterprises is a toolbox that you can use to basically get back in your body, get yourself under control, and make your life a little easier. They get on Zoom or they get on FaceTime and they can work with you. They can work with a group. They can work with your your coworkers or a whole division of a company at once. It's breathing and stretching. And I did a session with those guys a while back. And as I said, I was shocked at the just little things that uh, they had me do that made such a big difference in terms of my well-being. It's really a cool thing. And the special sauce here, I like to say all the time, is the fact that they can work with anybody anywhere so a lot of times you hear me talking about minnesota businesses you know if you're in california you can use bu if you're in utah you can use bu if you're in florida you can use bu and even if you work out even if you do all that stuff and even if you don't bu enterprises can help you and uh, I, I highly recommend them click on their banner at the top of the page at the bobdavispodcast.com that says bu enterprises or Visit BUEnterprises.com, B-E-Y-O-U, BUEnterprises.com. A little background. I've been doing these economic podcasts as kind of a series every now and then, going back to January of last year when we first started to experience the first flush of this great inflation that we are currently experiencing. Still isn't quite as bad as the 1970s, but at 10.3 or 10.8% at one point, it's getting close. I've been doing these podcasts every now and then to uh, provide a little economic background, primarily for nomads, because most of our expenses are uh, related to food and fuel. And especially if you're full-time, again, you did it because you saved an enormous amount of money, uh, if you do the arithmetic and add up all your costs from when you lived back in the world to living on the road, you know, there, even if you have to make repairs, even if, uh, you know, you, 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 you miscalculate and have to fill up a couple times on the way to such and such, you're saving an enormous amount of money. And if you're making any money at all while you're doing what you're doing, you're way ahead of the game. So obviously, nomads are concerned about the inflation, and this is something since it started that I've been on like white on rice. So for me as an individual to be on this, I can, in my own mind, have conversations, and I can take in data and look at it, and I can think about it, and I can take these concepts and play with them and think what I think, explaining it and explaining why I think what I think and kind of proving it is really hard. So even if I make notes and or if I write out sections, there are things I'm going to forget. And what frustrates me is that leaves people who are listening thinking, I'm not sure I understand what he means. And I'm not sure I understand what he's saying. So I want to try to clarify, if I can, in a short period of time, hopefully four to five minutes, uh, just what I'm talking about when I say that we are going to have a deflation, which is a general and uh, prolonged 
uh, reduction in prices. And with it goes that little uh, story about my mom back in the day uh, when the TV anchorman, probably Walter Cronkite, was talking about uh, a recession. And she said to my dad, I don't understand what everyone's worried about. I'd be happy to pay 49 cents a pound for beef so that we could have steak a couple more times a week. Because to her, a recession meant a general reduction of prices, and uh, it wasn't necessarily regarded as a bad thing. So the, the last few weeks, there's been all this confusion and arguments about whether or not we're in a recession right now. And the technical definition of a recession is two quarters of negative growth. We've had that in the first and second quarter of this year. And there's all these people arguing, and it's political. The, 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 the administration doesn't want to say that there's a recession, and the Republicans want to say that there's a recession. So between the two parties, there's a whole argument about whether or not there's a recession. The other thing that's confusing is that uh, certain people just keep saying that the current inflation is caused by shortages. Not true. Or the war in Ukraine. Not true. Or the stimulus that was sent out to Americans, and you can include the $600 a week unemployment and the idle and PPP loans and the stimulus checks that I believe we were sent twice over uh, the two different uh, administrations. During uh, one administration, we got 1400 and during the current administration, we got 1400 and there's various monies that were sent in the interim. This is called stimulus. And more uh, accurately, it's called fiscal stimulus. So often what you'll hear is that the inflation is caused by fiscal stimulus, the Federal Reserve's easy money policy, which I talked about in podcast 1068, the war in Ukraine and shortages, and supply-side issues dating back to the pandemic. That's what's caused the inflation. And I disagree with that completely. I break with the general trend of thought on that completely. And it's also why I believe we are about to see a general and prolonged drop in prices, and we are about to see a prolonged economic slowdown. So that's where I'm coming from. And let me say that, uh, and I did say this in podcast 1068, that macroeconomists distinguish between something called fiscal stimulus, which I just described to you. This is the federal government building a road or a bridge, and quote-unquote stimulating the economy because spending money supposedly stimulates demand or building a bridge gives people jobs, then they go out and spend the money they make building the bridge. That's called the multiple effect of government spending. If you spend a dollar, you get two or three dollars in return, and that's how you stimulate the economy. And that all stems from a guy named John Maynard Keynes, who uh, believe that you should save your surpluses for a rainy day so that you can spend to quote-unquote prime the pump of animal spirits and uh, get people uh, out buying things again. Even if you have to pay people to move rocks from one side of the road to the other, uh, that will work to get people out there and get the economy going again in the case of a recession. Monetary stimulus has to do with the Federal Reserve which is a public-private partnership. It's a bank that controls 12 Federal Reserve banks and essentially uh, regulates and controls the banking system. Uh, it isn't the only banking regulator, but the Federal Reserve has a lot to do with uh, basically turning on and off the spigots 
It also is uh, mandated by law through Congress. So the president appoints Fed uh, officials and they're approved by the Senate and the Congress itself uh, stipulates what the Federal Reserve Bank is supposed to do and the bank has to figure out how to do it. So one of the responsibilities of the Federal Reserve is to quote unquote set interest rates, the rate at which money is loaned first to the banks and then the higher the interest rate, the higher you pay when you borrow money for your credit card or a car or something to that effect. So that is called monetary stimulus when the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates in an effort to stimulate demand. And I just want to say that demand is a relatively new concept from Keynes. Classic economists do not recognize demand. There is only supply. So this idea that you spend money to stimulate demand is uh, what has predicated all these things that have happened with the federal government and everyone thinks it's caused inflation. One political party would uh, expressly like to be able to say right now that fiscal stimulus is the result, uh, has resulted in, in inflation because they're not in power and they can blame it on the other, the other team. The other team would expressly like to say that the inflation was caused by shortages and by the war in Ukraine, and these things are uncontrollable. But I believe that the inflation, all of the inflation, uh, was caused by a very loose money supply for a, a number of years, dating back to the 2008 financial crisis by the Federal Reserve. They have held down interest rates to near zero, making money very easy. Now, here's where it gets complicated. When interest rates are at zero and they really don't stimulate the economy, the Federal Reserve will resort to something called quantitative easing. Quantitative easing is when the Federal Reserve Bank goes out and buys on the open market uh, corporate bonds and mortgage-backed securities and other bonds and in some way uh, transfers all of that into the banking system. So this whole transaction takes place only within the banking system. It's not in the economy. The banks then take what they get out of that and they loan that out. So that helps rate, uh, interest rates actually be even lower. So in this way, the Federal Reserve creates money. They also create money as a matter of course on a year-to-year -year and month-to-month -month basis by keeping the system liquid so that there's always credit and people can always get credit. Why? Because uh, in 1973, something called Bretton Woods II developed. Bretton Woods I was the money regime, the monetary regime that existed at the end of World War II. Bretton Woods II is a new money regime in which the dollar is no longer tied to uh, gold and just kind of floats. And in this way, the dollar through credit became the world's reserve currency. And in addition to that, it funds the whole credit system, which is what keeps the stock market alive. It's what keeps uh, selling real estate. It's what keeps the businesses rolling uh, money. And when money is very, very easy, people borrow money and they do things with it, which may or may not be valuable. And as Milton Friedman said a long time ago, monetary stimulus always and everywhere creates inflation. Essentially, it is a synthesis of the old uh, punching holes in coins or printing currency. We don't use that much currency in our country anymore. We use electronic money. And so the Federal Reserve creates electronic money through credit. And they do this by doing something called quantitative easing, which I said has been done for many, many years. And 
to the tune of $95 billion per month. Now, I put this in the blog, per month in capitals. The Federal Reserve has been buying securities to the tune of $95 billion a month for quite some time, years. I would, I almost want to say more than 10 years. They tried to stop in 2019, and uh, the president at the time had a fit because he said it would cause the, the economy to slow down, and we can't have a recession while you're running for president. So the Fed chair, uh, Jay Powell, reversed course, and they continued quantitative easing. So let's fast forward to COVID and... Um, so what do you do when uh, inflation is raging and you're the Federal Reserve and you created it? You have to raise interest rates and you have to end quantitative easing. And so $95 billion per month is coming out of the monetary system. This is called liquidity. In the monetary system, credit is liquidity. This is what runs the system and keeps the engine running. I can go borrow money to start a business. You can borrow money to buy a car. Uh, a major corporation can, can, can reschedule their debt. Uh, some people can go out and borrow money uh, and margin buy stocks or buy crypto or all of those things. This is what has caused the inflation and this is what caused the big run-up in the stock market known as this big bubble which everyone is talking about bursting. So what I was making, the point that I was making in 1068 is that the quantitative tightening is the reversal of quantitative easing. They're pulling out $95 billion a, a month, uh, every month for, uh, you know, until I, I assume until they retire all that debt uh, on the Fed balance sheet by allowing these securities to mature. So the, uh, the securities that are being held, which are used as collateral to generate the credit, blah, 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 they're being allowed to mature and then retired on the Fed balance sheet. Sorry, that's complicated, but that's what they're doing. This is taking $95 billion of liquidity or credit out of the market every month. And so this is what's causing the markets to collapse. And people keep saying, well, he really doesn't mean it. They're not going to really do that. The other thing I was trying to make a point in, in 1068 is that uh, these uh, uh, these uh, these securities maturing are finally maturing at the full $95 billion rate in September and October. So you're going to really see the crunch in the next two months. And that's why I called it a turning point. So without that credit, you're going to see a general slowdown in business. And that's what you hear a lot of these analysts talking about. And uh, that's the key thing. So that's the point that I was trying to make. And the mistake that I made was I didn't really tell people that it happens $95 billion every month. And if you doubt that that creates inflation and that fiscal stimulus creates, just take 1400 and multiply it by $320 million. That's the number of people in the United States. That's the arithmetic. And you get a total result of $49 billion, I think it is. So the $49 billion times two is $100 billion. And you think, oh, that caused 10% inflation because everybody went out and spent their money, right? And then you don't realize that the Fed is creating that $100 billion every month for 10 years. And what percentage is $100 billion of the entire world economy? 
So if the what's the what's the total GDP of the world? 120 trillion. What percentage is uh, 95 billion of 120 trillion? So uh, if if they spend 100 billion dollars to stimulate twice, that's 200 billion. It's a fraction of what the world economy is, and it's a fraction of what the Federal Reserve has created out of thin air over the last 10 years. So no, the stimulus stimulus didn't cause the inflation. Here's what I think the the stimulus did. The fiscal stimulus has pulled consumption forward several quarters because everybody got their money and they spent and they bought stoves and cars and uh, things like that. And those are things they're not going to buy again. That was the point that I was making in 1068. So the fiscal stimulus has given us two quarters of GDP contraction because people don't need to buy things. And on top of that, you have high prices also adjusting behavior. That's a point that I made pretty well in podcast 1068 because they're adjusting their consumption. So now suddenly demand has become the issue in inventory with retail and in the fuel business at gas stations and oil. And if you look at the price of crude and the price of West Texas Intermediate, as well as Brent crude, you're seeing uh, the prices come down. And now suddenly you're hearing the Saudis talking about not producing the same amount of oil. Why? Because they don't want to store oil because that means they're going to have too much oil on the market, and that's going to cost. What the fiscal stimulus did was it pulled consumption forward. So that's yet another reason why we're going to see lower and lower prices. And that was the whole point that I made, because it was for nomads to uh, take heart, because I think fuel is going to come down substantially. And it has been mitigating. So we've seen disinflation, basically a reduction of prices within the rate of inflation or a moderate reduction in prices. Uh, we haven't seen deflation yet. We're starting to de see deflation in the stock market. We're starting to see deflation in retail markets, but nothing as significant as we're going to see in the months after this fall, October, November, we're gonna to start to see uh, real deflation. And I also made the statement, because you hear a lot of people talking about hyperinflation, uh, let's take Germany as an example in the interwar period. Germany had these onerous uh, war debts, war reparations that they had to make to France and England. And uh, I don't know if they did to the United States and whoever they defeated in or tried to defeat in World War I, and then the end result was they lost, and so they got to pay for everything. And these war debts were so high that the conservative German uh, Republican government printed currency to pay the war debts. And they printed so much currency to pay the war debt with a, uh, you know, a sluggish economy that they created a massive hyperinflation. And we've all heard the stories about the, uh, during this period of time that people brought uh, wheelbarrows full of money to buy bread. 10% uh, is not hyperinflation. Okay, that's the first thing to say. I don't see how you can have China in recession, Germany in recession, the world going into recession, the United States going into recession, and have inflation at the same time. When you have recessions like this and economic slowdowns like this, you have deflation. The reason people think there's going to be hyperinflation is they all think 
And they're buying stocks according to what they think the Federal Reserve is going to do, not according to what somebody's earnings statements were, not according to the idea of, hey, this is a great company, we should buy their stock because it's going to be wonderful when they start making this product or whatever it is, or oil companies because of this, that, and the other thing, or green energy, or whatever you're into. Uh, this is this is literally tea leaves and people buying stock based on tea leaves. So the market is still frothy and it still probably has another 30 to 50 percent to go if you listen to some people just because they're pulling the slats out from under the market. And they want to do that so that they push the market and the economy into recession because that will douse the flames of inflation. So I hope that's a little bit better explanation. It went a little long. Batten down the hatches and fasten your seatbelt because there's going to be some very interesting economic developments over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm not going to do one of these disclaimers that says I'm wrong. I'm going to say that uh, inflation is caused by monetary policy. That's the thing you have to watch when it comes to inflation and the reaction to shutting down inflation. And finally, fiscal stimulus affects the debt to GDP ratio, which is already about 120%. So when you look at the public debt of the United States, it's significant. Not just the federal government, but municipalities and counties and uh, everything else. Everybody is borrowing free money is what's going on. Very dangerous. And the fiscal stimulus whether it is the latest bill passed or another bill passed or bill passed by this party or bill passed by that tax cut bill, whatever you want to say. These are all Keynesian in that they purport to uh, take government fiscal spending and use it as stimulus for the economy. And there is a negative multiple associated with it over time. So if you look up Dr. Lacey Hunt and uh, uh, diminishing returns on fiscal stimulus, you will uh, see some information about how, uh, going back to the 30s, when government spent money, they got maybe 90 cents for every dollar they spent, sometimes maybe a little bit more. But as time goes on, the stimulus stops working, and Dr. Lacey Hunt has shown, uh, among others, that in fact, you start to get a negative result. So we haven't seen the effects yet of the fiscal stimulus, and this is the thing that I want to leave you with. We haven't seen the effects of the fiscal stimulus yet. We've just begun to see the negative effects of the stim stimulus, uh, the $1,400 checks in the first two quarters of this year being below uh, growth. They're, it's, it's negative. It's called negative growth, minus 1.6 and minus 6 GDP. That's the effects of the fiscal stimulus. If I'm right and there's a negative multiple, if Dr. Hunt is right, uh, and there's a negative multiple to government spending, then we are in for a number of contracted quarters. And that would qualify as a very bad recession or a depression. And in those cases, I don't think you can have inflation. I don't think you can have a depression with inflation or inflation very high. I think you're going to see inflation go rapidly from 10% to zero and to deflation rapidly. The only thing I'll say in closing is uh, deflations are extremely difficult for governments and for central banks to deal with. Governments have the problem because a deflated dollar is worth more than an inflated dollar, right? 
And so governments have to pay debts back in deflated rather than inflated dollars. So it costs them more, and so does everybody else. So what happens is consumption gets pulled forward, and prices go down, and that's great. But everybody who has debt has to pay that money back in deflated dollars, and it breaks the bank. Causes bankruptcies, causes businesses to close, and so on. So I'll leave you with that. Thanks for listening to Podcast 1069, the Bob Davis Podcasts. Bye-bye. My life be like, yeah. My life be like, yeah. My life be like, yeah. My life be like times like these that make me say, yeah. Lord, if you see me, please come my way. Like leaving breadcrumbs or when I stray, yeah. But I don't sacrifice in the price. I try my hand at search for the equation to persuasions I'm used to finding comfort in the zones of classic bones I get loose to a mountainous fontaine spinning and monsoon and grinning this high octane this blows about how I came rolling